It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I mean, I think we're at potentially a much bigger moment. The internet was the dawn of universally accessible information. Yes. And this is sort of the dawn of like universally accessible intelligence. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times. And this week we are, as promised, going to talk about AI. And Woo Nelly, do we have a great guest. His name is Noam Shazir. He's the founder of a startup called Character. AI, which is in the process of raising a reported $250 million at a $1 billion valuation. Gnome wouldn't confirm that, but that's what's out there in the world, which is not bad going given that the company is a year old and employs less than 20 people. But as we all know, AI is the thing right now with ChatGPT and Dali and Midjourney and Stable Diffusion and all the other stuff. And Gnome is, without overstating it, one of the best placed people probably to start an AI company because he spent roughly two decades at Google where he uh, started out as employee number 200. And when he was there, he worked on and really invented a lot of the core technologies that serve as a scaffolding uh, for this explosion of language models and other generative AI tools that we're seeing now. Among those things was the Lambda chatbot, which you may recall from last year, was so convincing that one Googler, a guy called Blake Lemoyne, he was fired last year after he became convinced it was sentient and should be treated with respect. But, uh, you know, there you go. Anyhow, so we may all be shocked by the power of these tools in various different guises and formats. Gnome is not. He has been helping to push the field along for years now, and at Character, he has taken an interesting approach like ChatGPT. This is a large language model, but when you go to the website, it's not exactly clear what you're supposed to do. But with a simple prompt, you can effectively create any character you want, from Joe Biden to, as you will hear, an AI therapist, a new best friend, even a girlfriend. It's all pretty wild, and it's even though it is not kind of the most user-friendly kind of setup right now. It is being used and used a lot. And 
to hear about all of this, I actually went down to Characters HQ, which is uh, in a very unassuming two-story building uh, in downtown Palo Alto, just a block from this cafe where I spent $6 for a room temperature coffee. It was room temperature. It was very confusing, but in any event. This is the first of a few pods that I will be doing on this area of AI, generative AI, and what it all means over this next month, because if you haven't been paying attention, this is the only thing people are talking about out here. It has really kind of taken the tech world and, in many respects, the world by storm. Um, So we're going to be diving into this in a few different ways over the next uh, month or so. And so this is a great place to start with one of the OGs of AI and large language models and all this just really fascinating stuff that is going on out there. So here he is, Noam Shazir, founder of Character.ai. Enjoy. I have so many questions because for the past, well, since November, since ChatGPT really, well, there's Dali before and MidJourney, et cetera, but ChatGPT really kind of set the world alight in a really interesting way. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, my God, AI has arrived. The world is going to change. Everything's different from now on. And then this past week, we had angry Bing (laughs) (laughs) trying to break up people's marriages and being very angry with people and saying it's in love with them, et cetera. And it's all kind of it's all very interesting. So just as a very, very high level, can we start with what is happening right now in terms of large language models in particular and then we can get into a bit of your history of kind of where you're coming at it from. But I think it does feel like this is a really interesting time that feels different than even a year or two ago. So just from where you sit, what's happening right now? Why all of a sudden does it feel like there's this kind of Cambrian explosion of all things AI, particularly around these, again, these large language models? Yeah, well, um, definitely have been working on it and seen it coming for a while. Um I think it's finally getting to be the case that companies are uh, excited to launch it. Mm. You know, the kinds of things we've been working on for several years now are are finally getting into everybody's hands. So uh, everybody else can be just as excited about it as I've been. So how long have you been working on this? I'd say since around 2015, 2016. Yeah, I was on the Google Brain team, which is uh, their group that works on deep learning. And I've just been like really excited about text because like a picture is worth a thousand words, but it's a million pixels. So the text is still like a thousand times as dense in information Mm. to like totally like take a figure of speech and turn it into a math equation. But the essence of that is true that it's like text is like our most distilled, concentrated form of abstract thought. So like that's the thing we want to like throw these neural networks at to get something like really, really intelligent. Someone I was talking to recently, which I thought was a really good, helpful way to think about it, is they said, you know, language is like the operating system for humans. And that now we have these generation of tools which seem to be crossing a threshold of usefulness that even two years ago they didn't have or even a year ago they didn't have. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, we, we had some some stuff that was extremely impressive mm. internal to Google a couple of years ago, like 2020, we did this uh, Lambda system inside of Google, which was, I guess it turned out good enough to uh, convince somebody that it was sentient and mm. uh, oh, needed to be freed. It's just taken a little while somehow for the world to just see that, wow, this is like super valuable. <laughs> let's, yeah. uh, let's invest a lot in it and uh, and get it out there. 
you know, over the years, we've just been working on making this thing better in various ways, both like algorithms and scaling it up. The basic idea of, of these language models is just so simple. It's like the simplest problem in the world. Like, what is the next word? You've got the beginning of a document and just tell me probabilities on what the next word might be. So it's like the easiest problem on earth to define almost. And there's so much training data just out there waiting to use, like the text of the web. And yet, in order to do a great job on it, you need to use the latest and greatest and all, all these mm. techniques uh, that we're coming up with in deep learning and like the latest, greatest supercomputers that the hardware folks are able to come up with and throw it all together. And suddenly you've got something that, that actually seems intelligent. So how long were you at Google? Was it, did you arrive at 2015 or were you doing other stuff before Google Brain? I actually joined the end of 2000, so it was like a couple hundred people. You were at Google since 2000? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, well, I, I left for a few years in the middle from, you know, around 2009. You look to extremely young to be, have been working that long. Uh, I, I just drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, no, I joined when I, I guess I was like uh, 24 or so, but yeah, right. uh, yeah. Oh, so you were there from early, early days, 200 yeah. people, wow. yeah. And what did you do at Google? Like, what was your, what were the different jobs you did? Yeah, I built a few things that were considered AI for the time, like mm. uh, the first version of the query spell correction that did you mean oh, stuff yeah. and uh, worked on like the first targeting function for AdSense and uh, a few other uh, kind of big ML kinds of projects. Wow. And then in 2015? Yeah, so then 2012, I got came back and, and got on to this uh, Google Brain project in... 2012, you got onto it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started learning about deep learning. Never had done it before, so... Uh, but it looked like a brilliant bunch of people doing something mm. uh, something exciting and, and took a couple of years to, like, get my bearings there so I could really kind of understand what, what deep learning was about and then started to really make progress on the language. So you started working on these language models in 2015? Yeah. And what was the goal then... Or was there one, or was it just like, let's see where this goes? It's a good question. Like, I think I could just see that this stuff was getting smarter and we're going to be able to do something really, really mm. exciting with it, like generate text, answer questions, talk to people. Like, really, the biggest hit in terms of applications back then around 2016 was the neural machine translation, which was just like a huge, huge win over like the previous machine translation systems. You know, what a great product. It's like everybody in the world understand each other. Oh, of like, so I'm in Brazil or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, right. like Google Translate, you know, like right. you, now, now you can just type in any text in any language, you know, and get it translated. And like that was where the technology was mm. in like 2016. Like it was good enough to translate languages, which is... Mm. Highly, highly useful. And so so a lot of the work was kind of around that. Like the first Transformer paper, we were using this uh, machine translation problem as a benchmark of how well we could do. When did you leave Google? I left in, uh, let's see, October 2021. So about 15, 16 months ago. How come? I mean, basically because I just wanted to launch stuff. Yeah, we've got all of these amazing things that we could build. Google is a large company and large companies move slower. And, you know, obviously for very, very good reasons, it's harder to launch things quick. And I kind of was excited about 
roughly what's happening now, like having mm. everyone in the world like a able to use this technology and just be able to see what, what what it could do and get excited about building it. Right. And when you left, did you immediately raise some seed money from from folks around the valley? Yep. Or, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we raised some seed money to build this company we call Character. You know, and the idea was, yeah, let's build some large language models and just deploy them, you know, directly to users. The technology is not perfect yet, but, you know, it's good enough that a lot of people can just find a lot of value in it. You have Google and you have Microsoft slash Microsoft slash OpenAI, which are kind of one yeah. and the same now. I mean, they have endless resources and endless compute power, and therefore they can build the biggest models and with the most training data. And they could spend billions and billions on it, and you're a startup. It just means we need to very quickly provide something very valuable to billions of people. So, uh, so, no, so we no can, big deal. No big deal. But I mean, this stuff is amazing. Like pe- yeah. people really, really love this technology. I mean, what the model we're serving now cost us about two million dollars in compute time to train. And what would that have been? I don't know. Two years ago, or five years ago. Probably two years ago, it might have been four or six million dollars. Five years ago, mm. it might have been 50, 100, you know, like, yeah, it, w- it would have been a lot more, you know, yeah. C- certainly. Uh, yeah, I, I can't, I don't, I can't remember exactly what the compute prices were right, right, uh, that, right, right, that long right. ago, but yeah, it wouldn't have been that bad. I, I think it's to some degree, it's just been a problem of people just haven't seen like how valuable the thing could mm. potentially be. And, you know, that that's one reason we launched before ChatGPT did. And maybe that uh, inspired them to, you know, to launch a little bit. I mean, the thing is, people really, really find this stuff valuable. Like somebody, I think we looked and somebody who's on character and sends like one message today, like if you average over anybody who who is active and sends one message, like the average active time is like two hours in that day or something. Wow. Yeah, people. They get drawn in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and the fun part is that we really have not told people what to do with it. We, well, it is like the, the the website's a little, it's not straightforward. It's yeah. not like you get there and you're like, oh, okay, I know what to do here. Yeah, You have to kind of figure it out. But so could you just briefly explain to people what you have built and what it is and what people can do with it today? Sure. I mean, what you can do is you can create a character, which really can be as simple as just writing a greeting like, you know, hi, I'm Joe Biden, president of the United States. That's roughly it. You, you can just write a greeting and that's your character. And then you can just go in and, and start chatting. And if you want to get more complicated, you can like have a write like an example dialogue to prompt it into uh, what the character's personality should be like. But you can basically kind of Say, okay, I want, effectively, I want to have a chat with Joe Biden. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're chatting with Joe Biden and that Biden is yep. basically, I would guess, trained on all of Biden's public utterances or whatever so they can kind of approximate. Right. I mean, we've just trained the model on like a ton of text. And, yeah. you know, in that text, there happens to be a lot of Biden utterances. Right. Right. Like, so. Uh, what is the most popular character right now? Um, I should take a look. I know there was like a, a lot of usage around some of these text adventure games. Like pe- people are like using it to like do like virtual like kind of role playing games. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so some of those were pretty popular. There were like a lot of video game characters people put up and like uh, 
a lot of VTubers. I had never heard of VTubers before. VTubers? Um, apparently, a VTuber is a virtual YouTuber. It's like somebody who is like controlling this sort of anime uh, character through probably some sort of puppetry software. And and they do like live streams on like YouTube or Twitch and, the, and kind of they're like in a band or whatever, right. like, and they've got you know, some of them like have hundreds of thousands to millions of followers. So like all of a sudden somebody like went and created like all of these character versions of all of these characters because people have like these parasocial relationships where they mm. follow a celebrity or yeah. a, you know, a real celebrity, uh, fictional character. And then they feel like they're connected but it's all one way. And now we now like people want to have this uh, mm. two-way experience where uh, their favorite character talks back. So they've yeah. been, you know, so, sometimes it's actually just fans creating the character. Sometimes it's the person who actually runs the character creating it. But, you know, it's uh, never in a million years would have thought that that would be a big use case, but it happens. And And like another thing we just hear a lot is like, People using this as like therapy and emotional support, like, you know, all kinds. Really? Of, yeah, we get all kinds of emails, things like, I have no friends. I was depressed. This makes me feel good. This, you know, like, thank you. This saved my life. Like, it, like it's really. Yeah. Again, not what we set out to do, but it just stands to reason. Like there are a lot of lonely people in the world and there are a lot of people who could just really use someone to talk to and like you know even even someone with friends you know you you often need someone to talk to and you bounce things off of at you know any time of day and someone who's going to be completely confidential better you know if you want to complain about your coworkers, you should mm. probably do it to an AI rather than to your other coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, we haven't been focusing on use cases. We, we just launched so, something. So that's, what's inter- that's what I think is interesting. You put it out there. Yeah. And then you're like, well, let's see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. And so now you have like virtual therapists effectively. Mm-hmm. And we're we're not like advertising this as yeah, therapy yeah. or guaranteeing yeah, or anything, but not. but like we get feedback like this cartoon character is now my therapist. It cares about me, and my actual therapist doesn't. Like, like whoa, <laughs> yeah. Like obviously uh, caveat emptor, but um, I wanted to ask you because you're obviously building these things, and you know, obviously when you, you mentioned it earlier, the the guy at Google who's like, you know. The big controversy, like these have become sentient. We have to treat this person, quote unquote, with respect or this being with respect. And then you have the example that has got a lot of press this week around chat GPT slash Bing, getting angry at people, kind of seeming to be manipulative, like having these really kind of like, let's call them human interactions in surprising ways. How should we be thinking about that? Because I think also as we get... To your point around, this is going out to billions of people. Yeah. This can get very confusing and really interesting in ways that are going to be pretty unsettling for a lot of people pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it's to some degree important for people to kind of understand what it is and, you know, what it isn't. Like, I think I heard stories about like the first movies or something where there was like a movie of a train like coming out at the and everybody camera. ran away right right like uh you know uh, until people could realize hey wait a minute like okay now i understand what this is you know like uh, the way i kind of like to think about these language models when they're playing characters is that it's kind of like 
it's an improvisational actor and like right. it can play any role and it's as if you're doing like improv games or something that you can understand really it's not this thing actually think something wants something yeah. you know it's it's answering the question how would somebody in this situation right because react? just so just so i think so people understand at least how these models work this is my very very crude understanding so please tell me if this is off base basically they take whatever the the entire written internet yep process it and you've created this model that says you know basically someone puts in a query and it's effectively an approximation of what would be an expected answer based on all of that training data that it has ingested right yeah it's just answering the question what might come next in this right. uh, document. It's just autocomplete on steroids, essentially. Right. And so when we talk about those kind of bizarre left turns that it takes in some of these interactions, is that also just simply a function of like, it's been trained on the internet, which is basically composed of stuff that people have created. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of it is. So there's, to some degree, it's doing its best to to simulate what's out there, what the training data is. But then also we, we kind of fine tune it towards usually trying to produce things that people like, you know, so yeah. don't just be realistic, but be realistic and fun or be realistic and factual yeah. or, uh, you know, be realistic and not horribly offensive. Or, <laughs> and or all of those kind of be fun or be factual or don't be offensive. Those are effectively, you put those guardrails are effectively algorithms. Yeah. Equa yeah, equations yeah. effectively. Yep. Yeah. There are various techniques for, yeah. for doing it and for guiding these models into output that you want to see or don't want to see. And that, that, that's kind of a layer on top of the just be realistic. Yeah. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So what's the plan for you? Are you still kind of like, let's give this three or four months, see all the different directions people take it, and then figure out, okay, how do we turn this into a product, a business, whatever? Because also I've seen in the press, you guys are trying to raise money along with every other mm-hmm. <laughs> LLM or AI startup at the moment. What's the goal or do you not quite know yet? Oh, no, we're, we're definitely going to monetize, you know, yeah. like uh, we're not just going to burn investor money forever. <laughs> like, you know, that's, uh, that's not the plan. <laughs> yeah, that in, invest, uh, investor money is good for like getting started. But like, yeah. if, you know, as you said before, if you want to scale up to something enormous and, you know, really uh, do your best at capturing the value and and also to serve billions of people, like you actually need the kind of money that comes from actually just having people pay you voluntarily for providing them something of value. And like all the best companies in the world go that route, you know, provide something of value and monetize. So yeah, we're going we're gonna to do that. But you don't know how yet. We've got we've got a few ideas, but you know, definitely um, subscription levels are probably a reasonable right. place to start. Like, right. um, you know, these things are not zero cost to serve. We no. you know we can serve them very very efficiently, but if you want to serve a billion people, like it's going to cost something. Yeah, we're now what, February twenty twenty three. Yep. For someone like yourself who's been kind of in the engine room of this stuff for years and years, I imagine you're like, well, of course, this is where we are. Or maybe you're not, or maybe you are surprised. Oh, no, I was hoping to get it out a lot sooner. <laughs> right, 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 right. So in terms of where we are and what these things can do, where are we going? Where should we expect to be in a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? Or is that? Yeah, um, well, stuff will be better and stuff will be out there. You know, it'll be better and out there. And Do you think, for example, this will completely change how people search the internet? Quite possibly. It could definitely help with information, but I think it can be even bigger than, you know, just information. Like, yeah, yeah, our mission is to give everyone their own personalized super intelligence to help them in whatever ways they'd like. What's the vision for that? Because I've heard lots of people talk about like something akin to like, everybody has their own AI butler who's like, all right, I need to, because you can, right, you can marry these with, say, one of these voice programs, mm-hmm. like I think Microsoft put out a paper recently where it said something like three seconds of audio and they can replicate me kind of saying anything. And then you marry this with, say, what you guys are doing. And all of a sudden you're like, all right, Jeeves, call this restaurant and make a booking for me or talk to United Airlines about that ticket fee that I think is unfair. But you spend 45 minutes on the phone with them or whatever it may be. Is that thinking too small in terms of what you see that is possible as like having this AI butler, whatever you want to call it, assistant with you at all times? Sure. that I mean, that helps. Like you could also throw in like a AI teacher and an AI friend and an AI therapist and mm-hmm. an AI, you know, all the rest of it. Like a bunch of friends, like, you know, have your own group of AI friends, if you want, like it's, you know, make it like cheers, you know, everybody knows your name and they're glad you came and, uh, right. you know, or, or like on the, on the work side, like make it more like you're elected president, you get your piece and you get your cabinet and you know what, yeah, why dream so, uh, 
That's so what I'm small, saying. My know? butler, my butler idea feels oh, yeah, quite, yeah, yeah. quite small. Yeah, relative yeah. I mean, to what... like basically, you know, the users have the best ideas. Yeah. You know, like so, yeah. just get it out there. Let you, that's why we've got like build your own characters. We're going to just work on the the basic technology and developing mm. the capabilities, and just let the user figure out what they want to do with it. And this idea, going back to where we started, this idea of kind of super intelligence and that the smarter these things get or the, the the higher fidelity they have in being able to kind of interact with people and provide any answer, et cetera, that intelligence, let's call it, gets more and more like sentience. And, you know, people have been talking for years and years and years about the singularity when we all merge with AI, whatever it may be. I mean, do you think about where we are on that trajectory or do you think about that at all or is it nonsense or, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there, I guess. There's, uh, you <laughs> know, like so, some of these terms are more like sort of philosophical and yes. religious than they are technological. I guess maybe we want to separate those out essentially, like sort of the technological questions yeah. of like what's it capable of and like the sort of more... Uh, religious questions of like, do we have a moral obligation to be nice to it or, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, well, separating that out then yeah. in terms of the potential limits yeah. to which, I mean, are we like scratching the surface right now? Are we like... Yeah, basically, I think we're pretty much, as far as we know, scratching the surface, This we might be seeing like the first airplane right flyer version of uh, neural language models. And, you know, it can uh, fly tens of miles an hour and crashes half the time and carries no passengers. But compared to what's possible in the future, uh, it's kind of nothing like, you know, in terms of yeah, okay, we spent a couple million dollars, but yeah. long term, you know, if this thing can provide huge amounts of value to people like then both the levels of spending and the technology will will improve and thousands and thousands of people are uh you know starting to work on the stuff right now so yeah. uh and do you see this getting to the point where because it seems like one of the great kind of holy grails not to get too religious <laughs> um is this idea of like saying ai can get to a point because a lot this generative ai is one of these terms that's been coined is like, you know, you put text in and then something surprising comes out. Or, yeah. you know, when these text-to-art generators are really impressive. Do you think we'll get to the point where we're like, uh, I need help figuring out this protein structure for this new type of drug? Oh, that's what I'm hoping for. Like, yeah. Or we ha really need help figuring out cracking, you know, nuclear fusion. Yeah, or like, hey, uh, find me a cure for cancer. Like that, that would be pretty useful. Like, uh, yeah. you know, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of why, why I got into this stuff in the first place is that there's so many, uh, technological problems out there that need to be solved. Do we understand how it gets from the prompt to the answer, like in deep learning, or is it, we just say, here's a bunch of information. So, so for example, in the biology realm, here's all the information, genetic coding for everything we've sequenced in the, on earth. And all these protein structures and everything else and be like, we're starting here. We need X. We need a cure for X. We need to target whatever gene, whatever it may be. And then it just figures it out. I don't think anybody really understands, right. uh, you know, that well how it works. Just like nobody really understands how the brain works. Like, you right. know, when I ask you to solve a math problem or something, like which ones of your neurons were firing yeah. and how it's just like something that's massively complicated and has hundreds of billions of parameters in there and it's pretty much alchemy right anything 
worry you? Or is there anything where you're like, mm, we should really be thinking hard about X or we should really start talking now about, because I like two, three years ago, I went to the Stanford Center for Human-Centered AI or something, high or something. It all felt very theoretical, felt very kind of high-minded, very academic. We really need to think about human-centered AI. We need to start putting in rules now. But it was all a bit mushy because there wasn't, didn't feel like there was anything to really yeah. direct that at but now we're getting to a point where there yeah, are the, the, things now, now things are a little more concrete yeah. and you know this is great because now we can actually work on real problems and yeah. yeah it's a lot harder to like solve problems in the abstract than like people who don't actually if you can't get your hands dirty like you end up coming up with solutions that you know don't really work you know you hear about okay we need to make sure we keep training data we don't want out of the training set to keep it from saying things yeah. we don't want. And in actuality, that's just impractical compared to classifying and filtering the output to take out output you don't want. Like every person has read all kinds of stuff that is terrible and that they yeah. you know they don't agree yeah. with. And yet yet most of us have a filter between the brain and the mouth that that, that will control most of us. Most of us <laughs> on a good day. Uh, you know, like yeah. but you know, uh, and the same thing actually is true in the case of these large language models that it's much, much easier to tweak what goes out than to try to avoid something going in, essentially. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, you know, as the technology progresses, we should definitely be working on, yeah, there's a lot of this controllability uh, stuff. And, you know, it's great that now we have like some real practical problems to use to develop that part of the technology. It feels like one of the brewing debates about how this is going to develop is open source versus proprietary models. Yeah, I guess as people see that you can make money on it, I think most of yeah. the organizations are going to be less prone to publish, <laughs> to publish open source software and to publish academic papers. There's like a lot more incentive to keep the innovations proprietary. But I guess there are still universities and people whose businesses are more on the uh, infrastructure end or something that are just happy to release techniques so that yeah. you get people using the infrastructure. I usually do this way earlier, but I've just, I'm so fascinated by the actual technology that I've delayed it. But where are you from? I was born in uh, Philadelphia and grew up near Boston. Were you the kind of, I'm on a computer from a very early age, this has always been my thing? Um, I'm a little too old for that, but like <laughs> I, I, uh, I think my dad brought home like a first computer, uh, like when I was 10, like 1986. So, right, uh, right, right, right. I think it had like MS-DOS and GW basic or something. So I got, yeah. like, I got started programming on that. Got you. Did you study computer science? Yeah. Studying math. Yeah. I guess I was doing math cause I was good at it or, or something, but at some point realized, hey, wait a minute, I should just do something I like, which turned out to be I like trying to see what I can get this computer to do. So I, right. uh, you know, did computer science as well. Okay. And did you come out here for school or did you? Um, I, I went to Duke. Yeah, they recruited me for the basketball team, but I got injured. No, I'm joking. Oh, so, like, so. No. <laughs> I'm short and can't play basketball. But uh, but they, but I believe but they did actually recruit me because they were trying to win a math competition. <laughs> oh, because so. <laughs> So I feel like you're being modest. So were you like a mathlete? Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did all these math competitions in high school. Were you like basically the man for math 
in your time and place? Yeah, one of them. I guess I, I was on the U.S. team to the International Math Olympiad once, you know, in high school. How'd was, you guys do? Uh, we won. We won. No we way. Made, uh, Can I ask, because I've heard about this, the Math Olympiads. Yeah. How does that competition work? Like, what is the actual competition? Yeah, at the higher levels, it's all proofs. So I think the International Math Olympiad was like two days. Each day is like a four and a half hour session with three problems. It starts and they're like, here's your three problems. Yeah, yeah. You, you sit in the room with a test paper. At least this is what so it was like. So this isn't like, like ESPNable like, uh, no, content. No, the, but there was one on like, I think, I forget if it was on ESPN or something else. I think it was like called Math Counts or something. It was like a middle school competition, you know, and they had like this uh, buzzer hitting like, final round or something right. that was totally ESPNable. And I had like never heard of this stuff <laughs> until like my parents saw that thing on TV and when I was in like seventh or eighth grade or, or like, or maybe seventh grade. And they were like, oh, that thing looks really cool. Right. Like you, you should start doing these math competitions. So I got I into see. that. Where was the math Olympiad that you guys won? It was in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they, they do like a different country every, every year. Very so cool. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, I won my school district spelling bee, which Ooh, is San, congrats. San, yeah, thank you very much in San Jose. Big, you know, I didn't make it to Hong Kong. I didn't make it out of the county, but I got hung up on um Catalyst. Ooh. Yeah. It was from a new book they hadn't we hadn't studied. It was kind of the final round. It was very traumatic. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but I've seen that I've seen that on that. Yes. Yeah, like that, yes, that's pretty yes. exciting. The spelling bee is is pretty dramatic. So you came out here. Yeah, I came out here in like end of 2000 to go work at Google. So this was like the glory days of just like, oh, this is the internet has arrived. It's yeah, change yeah. Everything. Everyone was like dropping out of school and going yeah. to join startups, and right. thought that sounded pretty fun. And you stayed there for all those years. And I'm just circling back to where we are today. How was this in terms of the power of this technology? Because I imagine when you arrived at Google, Google was blowing up the internet was blowing up it was yeah. this like amazing time mm -hmm. and it feels like a lot of people are kind of comparing this time in ai to kind of the dawn of the internet for a lot of people just like there is this new technology has arrived that is going to change the way we do all kinds of things in ways we cannot imagine do you think we are at a similar moment now with ai yeah i mean i think we're at potentially a much bigger moment the internet was the dawn of universally accessible information. Yes. And this is sort of the dawn of like universally accessible intelligence. I guess I'll uh, give you my uh, humorous VC pitch, which is, which is that, you know, if you think of what is an example of like a personalized intelligence or super intelligent helper, it's like, you know, like a kid who's like walking down the street with, with his parent, right? Uh -huh. So, you know, that parent is useful for information retrieval, but the parent is also great for a lot of other things like education and real-time coaching, friendship and emotional support and fun and like all of those things. So yeah. we're not trying to replace Google. We're trying to replace your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha, 
How did that go down in the VC pitches? I think it, um, <laughs> about as well as it went down just right now. But, uh, you know, no, it, we're not actually going to replace anyone's mom. But there's all kinds of stuff that no one's ever thought of, ways that this technology can potentially be helpful to people. And then just lastly, on this idea of AGI, artificial general intelligence, which people have been talking about, and there's a great debate about whether that's even a realistic possibility or if it's nonsense. But it does mm. feel, to your point around kind of replacing your mom or whatever, of there's a, any number of ways this can be deployed. But ultimately, that sounds like if it's kind of one thing, then it's this like super generally intelligent thing that can kind of, you can throw any problem at or any question and it can handle. So is that AGI or is that, should we be thinking about it in that way? Or is that? Yeah, I guess it's all a matter of definition. You know, definitely our strategy is to work on general techniques because with dialogue systems, the old way is to build like these rule-based systems that are mm -hmm. based on like, thousands and thousands of rules and like this kind of situation do this and this situation do that and if then if, if, then, if, then, if then a lot of if then and all of those pretty specialized systems end up to be very fragile to be very fragile and not very intelligent and all we do is make sure that we're using sort of general techniques so we're not like targeting one specific situation but build something that's going to improve thousands of use cases, you know, take right. inspiration from one use case and build something that can work on, on in lots and lots of situations. And, you know, the, this deep learning stuff seems to, seems to fit the bill. So the, yeah, there's this aspect of the generality of these techniques that is, uh, I, I think, kind of the new way of doing things. Because it's not so prescriptive. It's just more about you just shovel as much information into these models as possible, give them some general parameters and let it figure it out. Yep. Is there one thing you're worried about, about how this might go? Not at the moment. Definitely as things progress, we'll worry about stuff. It sounds like we're basically the same age. Did you watch War Games growing up? Oh, that was the one with the, Matthew yeah, where Broderick. he like hacks into the thing that plays tic-tac-toe. and Yes. Yeah, I did see that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's where the, basically an AI tries to start World War Three with another system. Obviously, yeah, Matthew let, Broderick. Let's not do that. Yeah. Let's not do that. Yeah, I, I'm I with you. That's, I think that's yeah. great. And that is all the time we have this week. I want to thank Gnome for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for telling your friends and neighbors about the pod. I know you do it. Thank you for doing it. That is it for me this week. I will be writing about Shocker AI this weekend in the paper. So do head over to thetimes.co.uk or pick up an actual physical paper. Do it. You know you want to. As I said, I'll be doing a few more interviews over this next month, month and a half, depending on how it goes with folks coming at this from various different angles. So do keep your ears out for that. And that is it for me this week. Have a fabulous weekend, and we will talk to you very, very soon. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 